that Zechariah 4.4 was a pretty significant verse early on in the Calvary Chapel movement of how God worked in the Calvary Chapel movement back in the 60s and 70s and built a movement that has lasted to this day and has spread out across the world, but it was the work of the Holy Spirit, not by physical might, not by physical power, but by the Spirit of God. You're looking too far for that need you have inside. You're on a big merry-go-round and it's taking you for a ride. You've got to let go and let go. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. And we're looking at the building of the tabernacle tonight, or at least the blueprints. They haven't started constructing yet. But the blueprints of the tabernacle, I titled this chapters 27 and 28 of Exodus for glory and beauty. And for Exodus 27, I chose verse 20, where the Lord told Moses, you shall command the children of Israel that they bring you pure oil of pressed olives for the light, to cause the lamp to burn continually. And so he finishes out this chapter, and for the book of Exodus, kind of a shorter chapter, but he finishes out with two verses, speaking about the oil of the menorah. Verses 20 and 21, And you shall command the children of Israel that they should bring pure oil of pressed olives for the light, to cause the lamp to burn continually, And in the tabernacle of meeting outside the veil, which is before the testimony, so he's telling us in the holy place, but not in the holy of holies. The lamp is in the holy place, but not where the testimony is, the Ark of the Covenant. So in the tabernacle of meeting outside the veil, which is before the testimony, Aaron and his son shall tend it from evening until morning before the Lord. It shall be a statue forever to their generations on behalf of the children of Israel. So from evening, from dusk until dawn, they would tend the lamp of the menorah, turning its wake, adding oil to the lamp itself. But the oil itself, it came from the offering of the children of Israel, Command the children of Israel to bring pure oil of pressed olives. So we might relate this to 
pure virgin olive oil today. I was looking into this, the pure olive oil of the menorah itself, and it tells us the stone addition of chumash, that, that ch is probably a guttural k sound in the Hebrew, but I don't do those sounds too well. But anyways, it says the purest, only the purest oil could be used for the lamp, the menorah. The purest of the pure, it was obtained by slightly pressing the very ripe olives, but without crushing them. A minute quantity of oil would be squeezed out, only a drop or so from each olive. You can imagine this. You're lighting a lamp, seven lamps on the menorah. You have to keep them going all night. And give me another olive. One, two. Give me another olive. One, two. It would take quite a bit of pressing because you don't want to crush it. They would crush that later. You get different oil out of that. So only a drop or so from each olive. This oil was more pure than any of the other oil obtained via crushing. So this was a process to obtain the oil, and it was an offering of the people. As he said, command the children of Israel to bring you the purest of pressed olives for the light. And that would be something for the family. I don't know how they did this, but initially, I'm sure it became part of a business at some point. But I can envision that would be very special for a family to know that the oil that they squeezed from the olives that they picked was lighting the holy place in the temple and really participating in it in that sense. So in the Bible, the oil often represents the Holy Spirit, while light represents Jesus Christ. After the Babylonian captivity, God called for the builders to rebuild the temple that had been destroyed, Solomon's temple that had been destroyed. And in the 70th year, when they were freed, they were called to rebuild the temple, which is known as the second temple, which became Herod's temple. And it's all, there've only been two temples so far, Solomon's temple, the second temple, Herod's temple, we call also because he did such a large remodeling on it. But there've only been two temples and they were called to rebuild the temple. But because of the economy and the political pressure that surrounded them when they returned back to Jerusalem, the temple's construction sat idle for 15 to 16 years. They got there, they laid the foundation, they built the altar, and that's where it stopped. The people instead busied themselves in building, according to Haggai 1.4, and I know some people say Haggai, we taught through this, I went through that whole thing, I ended up calling it Haggai because it seems more Jewish to me, I guess. But I actually listened to a variety of ways to pronounce it. Haggai 1.4 says, The people busied themselves building their paneled homes. So they couldn't build the temple, but they could build their houses. And the political pressure around there, the Samaritans who had... Uh, replaced the Jews while they were gone for 70 years. There was conflict. They had no conflict with the Jews building their homes, 
But they did have conflict with the Jews building the temple. And despite of their apathy, their economic and political pressures, God promised Zechariah that he would accomplish the work of rebuilding the temple through the empowering of his Holy Spirit, the oil representing the Spirit of God in our lives. Zechariah 4, verses 1 through 4, the angel of the Lord talked with me, came back and wakened me as a man who is wakened out of his sleep and said, what do you see? And so I said, I'm looking, and there is a lamp of solid gold with a bowl on top of it and a stand of seven lamps and seven pipes to the lamps. So a menorah, but here we'll discover that two olive trees are continually feeding the lamps that they would never go out. Verse 3 of Zechariah 4 Two olive trees are by it, one on the right of, of the bowl, one on its left. So I answered and spoke to the angel who talked to me and said, What are these things, my Lord? And he said, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Not in my notes, but he goes on to say that this great mountain of rubble will be removed, and that great mountain of rubble was the stones that had sat around that place, the wall of the city and the temple when the Babylonians destroyed it and they broke it down to the ground. There was just mountains of stone that were left or robbed for building of homes, but not for the rebuilding of temple. And God says to Zerubbabel, the governor, you're going to get it done, but not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. That, Zechariah 4.4, 4, was a pretty significant verse early on in the Calvary Chapel movement of how God worked in the Calvary Chapel movement back in the 60s and 70s and built a movement that has lasted to this day and has spread out across the world, but it was the work of the Holy Spirit, not by physical might, not by physical power, but by the Spirit of God. So oil in the Bible often likened to the Holy Spirit. Jesus, though, the light. He said in John eight twelve, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The Bible tells us in the beginning, darkness covered the face of the deep. Back in Genesis, Genesis 1-3, God said, let there be light, and there was light. And in a similar way, the spiritual darkness that hovers over the earth, that is upon this world, is no challenge against the light of Jesus Christ. The light of Jesus is brighter than the darkness of this world, 1 John 4, 4 tells us that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. That's something I think we need to continually remind ourselves of, that he, Jesus Christ, who is in us, is greater than he who is in the world, than Satan who is in this world. And I think the church is going to come up to challenges in our future. We need to remember we have the oil of the Holy Spirit in our lives as believers and the light of Jesus Christ who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. So the physical tabernacle 
and its spiritual significance to the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. The bronze altar, kind of reviewing a little bit, the bronze altar speaks of Jesus' atoning work upon the cross where Jesus offered himself as the lamb without spot or blemish. Hebrews 9.14 How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. The bronze altar reminds us of the atoning work of Jesus Christ upon the cross where he bore our sins that we might be set free. The entryway, the eastern gate, the single entry point reminds us that Jesus is that access to God. Jesus in John 14, 6 says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And the oil reminds us of the need of the Holy Spirit to enter in our lives. That happens the moment we're saved. But also the promise of Jesus is that he would send another comforter, that we would be filled with the Spirit and even have the Spirit overflow from our lives in John 14, 17, one of those promises from Jesus, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. And it's my prayer that those, if you're listening on the radio tonight, if you're watching through uh, video, through social media, through our website, Jesus said in John 10, 9, I am the door. It's my prayer that you have entered by the gate, Jesus Christ. I am the door, Jesus said in John 10, 9. If anyone enters by me, he is saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Jesus said, I am the door. So we finish out looking at the priestly garments, verses 1 through 43. And I titled this chapter, chapter 28, Holiness to the Lord. And this is all about the making of the garment and especially the garment of the high priest and also the priestly garments of Aaron's sons initially that would serve with him. I'll go ahead and read one through four. Takes us through our first point. Now take Aaron, your brother, and his sons from him among the children of Israel that he may minister to me as priest. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar, and you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. So you shall speak to all who are gifted artisans, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to sanctify him, that he may minister to me as priest. And these are the garments which they shall make, a breastplate, an ephod, a robe, a skillfully woven tunic, a turban, a sash. So they shall make the holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons, that they may minister to me as priests. So the priestly garments, along with their adornments that we'll look at in a moment, they set apart Aaron as the high priest, his sons, he had four sons initially, and we'll learn about Nadab and Abihu and their 
strange fire that they would offer to the Lord and God would just take them out. But two of those sons, Eleazar and Ithamar, would continue to serve as priests, one of them becoming the high priest after his father. Their garments were to be made by gifted artisans. They were holy garments. They were actually sanctified, and we'll find out about this, by the sprinkling of the blood of the altar. So anything that is touched by the blood that is in the service becomes holy to the Lord. It set Aaron and his sons apart that they might minister as priests before God. This thing for Kodesh, is it means holy. Kodesh, holy in the Hebrew, something that is sacred or set apart, a holy thing. And the word indicates something that's been consecrated or set aside for sacred use only. So only when he was serving as a high priest would he put on this robe. It was not to be put on for common use. If so, it would become profane and would not be holy. And the phrase for glory and beauty, the Bible knowledge commentary states about this, the garments for the high priest were to be set apart from common clothing to elevate the office, to give dignity and honor, to serve as a constant reminder of God's holiness. I slightly felt guilty looking at this today, thinking, do I dress well enough as a preacher? Kind of dressed down on Wednesdays especially, but for my dad, he would say no. When my dad pastored, it was suit and tie on Sunday morning, Sport coat tie on Sunday night, sport coat no tie on Wednesday night. That was his dressing down. Uh, but Sunday morning suit and tie all the time. It's rare that you see me in those things. So we read through verses 3 and 4. What I want to highlight before we move on, the gifted artisans, those who have been filled with the wisdom of God, to make these garments. And we find that God would, in Exodus 31, actually specify two specific men for the work, the working of the building of the tabernacle to put wisdom in the hearts of all the gifted artisans. So I'm looking at 31 verse 6. That they may make all that I've commanded you, the tabernacle of meeting, the ark of the testament, the mercy seat, the furniture of the tabernacle, the table and its utensils, the pure gold lampstand, its utensils, the altar of burnt offerings and all of its utensils, the lever, its base, the garments, verse 10, Exodus 31, the garments of ministry, the holy garments for Aaron and the priest, and the garments for his son to minister as priest. And so gifted people, God gifts people for certain ministries. The New Testament apostles understood this. Peter wrote about this in 1 Peter 4, 10, and 11, saying, as each one has received a gift. I could see myself not making the priestly garments. That wouldn't be me. And Lily knows once when they were doing all this fancy home decorating and painting, I tried to do a basket weave painting in the kids' room our grandkids' playroom, we 
put in the house. And I can't be artistic in that sense. Everything has to be straight and lined and it's just me. I can't like go off the map. Let me draw lines, I'll make it perfect, but I can't just kind of freehand it. That's not me. Maybe I would be involved with the melting of gold and making these bronze instruments and stuff. But the important thing is that each one has been gifted. We've received a gift. First Peter 4.10, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability that God has supplied, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. The gifts the Lord gives us were to use in the fellowship, in the body of believers, as good stewards, that God would be glorified. He supplies the ability. He supplies the ability. It doesn't mean that we can't hone our craft, become better, at what we do, but he gives us each one a gift. Sometimes it takes discovery to find out what our gifts are. Sometimes we have to fail at a few things to discover that, you know, I just can't do a basket weave painting. That's not me. And so give me another job. That's not going to work for me. So sometimes we fail but in the process of failing, we discover what we're not good at, what we're not gifted at, and we might discover those things that we are gifted at and those things which we can improve upon in our lives. It has been said that God does not call the equipped, but equips those whom he calls. So the ephod, verses 5 through 14, I'll just read the text. The fastest way through it is to read what the word says. They shall take the gold and the blue and the purple and the scarlet thread and fine linen. Isn't that something? They added now to the blue, purple, and scarlet thread gold thread. And they shall make the ephod of gold and blue and purple and scarlet thread, a fine linen thread artistically woven. It shall have two shoulder straps joined at its two edges, and so it shall be joined together, and the very f fancy woven band of the ephod, which is on it, shall be of the same workmanship woven of gold, blue, purple, scarlet thread of fine linen. Then you shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel, six names on one stone, the remaining six names on the other stone, according to their birth. And the work of the engraver in the stone, like the engraver of a signet, you shall engrave the two stones and the names of the sons of Israel. You shall set them in settings of gold. You shall put them on the two stones on the shoulders of the ephod, so they would be actually like fastening the two sides together right on the shoulders with the stones. So Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his shoulders as a memorial. You shall also make the settings of gold. You shall make two chains of pure gold like braided cords, fastened the braided chains to their settings. The chains would have to do with the holding of the breastplate, 
But Aaron's garment, the ephod, uh, made of the same materials here, threads of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet, finely woven, all these found in the tabernacle itself, except this is the first time it mentions threads of gold. The ephod was a very beautifully artistic design joined at the shoulders by these straps that were clasped together by the onyx stones that carried the names of the tribes of Israel, and that Aaron would always bear the names of Israel on his shoulders as he served before the Lord, as a memorial before the Lord. So Aaron, he served for the people. That was his job. Father, we thank you for this night. So Lord, as we go through the construction of these things, help us to gain a better understanding of the work and ministry of Christ, that we might know you better, that we might draw closer to you in all things. Bless us, Lord, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. I pray that God would bless you and keep you, that his face would always shine upon you and give you peace. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into his image by the power of his Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today.